Volume One, Chapters Three and Four of *The Widow Barnaby* by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, Graphic Description of the Most Interesting of the Silverton Localities, A Rencontre Not Unexpected, A Successful Maneuver after uttering a few of those expressions which by a very remarkable sort of superstition most nations of the civilized world hold to be a relief under vexation miss martha compton resumed the bonnet and parasol which she had but recently laid aside and without consulting either mother or sister who were occupied in a reperusal of miss betsy's epistle she sallied forth and deliberately took her way in a direction leading towards the barracks which were situated close by the turnpike that marked the entrance of the town let it not be supposed however that the young lady had any intention of entering within the boundary of that region whose very name is redolent to all provincial female hearts as much of terror as of joy she had no such desperate measure in her thoughts nor was there need she should for between the curate's dwelling and the barrack-yard there was a three-cornered open space planted with lime-trees displaying on one side some of the handsomest shops in the town among which were the pastry-cooks and the circulating library both loved resorts of idle men and beneath the trees a well-trodden a very well-trodden walk rarely or never without some lounging red-coat to enliven its shade when it is added that in this open space the band played morning and evening all the world will be aware that if not the centre it was decidedly the heart of silverton for to and from it the stream of human life was ever flowing and all its tenderest affections were nourished there being by necessity obliged to pass along this walk or the pavement which skirted the road beside it miss martha compton had no occasion whatever to enter the barrack-yard or even to approach its enclosure in order to ensure meeting within the space of any given hour before mess-time any officer she might wish to see there was at this particular epoch much of constancy in the feelings of the fair martha for though she had parted from captain tate only three-quarters of an hour before it was captain tate and captain tate only that she now wished to see nor did she long wish in vain when her tall person straight ankles and flashing eyes first entered upon the high street parade captain tate was swallowing the fourth spoonful of a raspberry ice but ere she had reached the middle of it he was by her side oh captain tate she exclaimed with heightened colour and brightened eyes i did not expect to see you again this morning i thought for certain you would be riding with the colonel or the major or some of them ah miss martha you don't know what it is to be ordered from quarters where you don't know what it is to be torn heart and soul and body asunder as i shall be in a few days or you would not fancy one should be riding out of town as long as one had the power of staying in it oh dear you won't mind it i'm sure you will like plymouth quite as well or perhaps better than you do silverton we shall all remember you longer than you will remember us do not say so do not say so beautiful martha you cannot think it i'm sure i do responded the young lady with a very distinct sigh it was exceedingly wrong in captain tate yet all his family and intimate friends declared that he was as worthy a fellow as ever lived it was exceedingly wrong in him to offer his arm to miss martha the moment he heard this sigh for in fact he was engaged to be married to his cousin and the marriage ceremony was only deferred till he should be gazetted as a major yet he scrupled not as i have related to offer his arm saying in a very soft and even tender accent i know it is not the etiquette of dear quiet little silverton for the officers to offer their arms to the young ladies but just at the last at such a moment as this not even the lord mayor of the town himself could think it wrong 
this reasoning seemed quite satisfactory for miss martha's arm was immediately placed within his it is very true as you say captain tate the last time does make a difference but it will be very dull work for you going to smith's shop with me and i must go there because mamma has sent me dull oh miss martha do you really think that any place can be dull to me where you are how do i know captain tate how can any girl know how much or how little good heaven we are at the shop already said the captain interrupting her how such dear moments fly miss martha answered not with her lips but had no scruple to let her fine large eyes reply with very intelligible meaning even though at that very moment she had reached the front of the counter and that mr smith himself stood before her begging to know her commands her arm too still confidingly hung upon that of the stylish-looking young officer and there certainly was both in her attitude and manner something that spoke of an interest and intimacy between them of no common kind a few more muttered words were exchanged between them before the draper's necessary question met any attention whatever yet in general the miss comptons were particularly civil to mr smith and at length when she turned to answer him she stopped short before she had well pronounced the words mull muslin saying with an air of laughing embarrassment and withdrawing her arm upon my word and honour you must go captain tate i can no more buy anything while you stand talking to me than i can fly did you not promise me said the captain reproachfully and not knowing what in the world to do with himself till it was time to dress yes i know i did she replied but the truth is and she pressed both her hands upon her heart and shook her head the thing is impossible you must leave me indeed we shall meet to-night at the major's you know farewell and she stretched out her hand to him with a smile full of tender meaning the captain looked rather puzzled but fervently pressed her hand and saying au revoir then left the shop the young lady looked after him for a moment and then turning to mr smith with a look a sigh and a smile not at all likely to be misunderstood said i suppose mr smith you have heard the news about me there never was such a place for gossip as silverton mr smith smilingly protested he had heard nothing whatever about her but added with very satisfactory significance that he rather thought he could guess what the news was and begged very respectfully to wish her joy of it you are very kind mr smith i am sure it is the last thing i expected so much above me in every way and now mr smith i want to speak to you about the things that must be bought i am sure you are too neighbourly and too kind to put difficulties in my way it is a very different thing now you know as to what i buy and i am sure you will let me have quite on my own account and nothing at all to do with papa a few things that i want very much at the present moment miss martha looked so handsome and the whole affair seemed so clear and satisfactory that mr smith careful tradesman as he was could not resist her appeal and declared he should be happy to serve her with whatever article she might choose to purchase her dark eyes sparkled with the triumph of success she had often felt her own powers of management swelling within her bosom when she witnessed the helpless despondency of her father or listened to the profitless grumbling of her mother upon every new pecuniary pressure that beset them and it is not wonderful if she now believed more firmly than ever that much suffering and embarrassment might very often be spared or greatly alleviated by the judicious exercise of such powers as she felt conscious of possessing 
as a proof that her judgment was in some measure commensurate with her skill she determined not to abuse the present opportunity by contracting a debt which it would be quite impossible for her father to pay so notwithstanding all the tempting finery with which the confiding mr smith spread the counter she restrained her purchases to such articles as it might really have endangered all their schemes of future conquest to have been without and then took her leave amidst blushes and smiles and with many assurances to the gently facetious shopkeeper that let her be where she would she should never forget his obliging civility it was a moment of great triumph for martha when mr smith's man arrived and the huge and carefully packed parcel was brought up to the chamber where mrs compton and her daughter sat at work what in the world is this exclaimed the mother seizing upon it is it possible that her letter was only a joke and that the little fright has actually sent you some dresses at last it is much more likely i fancy that i have coaxed mr smith into giving us a little more credit it can all be paid off by a little and a little at a time you know and at any rate here are some very pretty dresses for the fete besides about three pounds worth of things that we really could not do without any longer and do you really mean martha that you have got smith to send in all these beautiful things on credit i do indeed mamma was there ever such a girl only look sophia this lovely muslin why it will wash and make up again with different trimmings as good as new for a dozen regiments to come oh you dear clever creature what a treasure you are i wish to god i had trusted all to you from the first and not tired myself to death by walking over to that stingy little monster but tired or not we must cut these dear sweet dresses out at once nancy baker must come in and make the bodies and we must set two girls and run the seams and a pleasure it will be too god knows i have worked at turning and twisting old gowns into new ones till i have hated the sight of an ironing box and a needle but this is another guest sort of a business and i shall set about it with a right good will i promise you and so she did and the dresses went on prosperously as well as everything else connected with the officer's fete and when the wished-for but dreaded day arrived in which so many farewell sighs were to be sighed and so many last looks looked and so many scrutinizing glances given as to what might be hoped for from the flirtations of the ensuing year the sun shone so brightly as evidently to take part with the newcomers permitting not one single cloud to sympathize with those who were about to depart of all the beauties assembled at this hybrid festival none appeared to greater advantage than the mrs compton their dresses were neither dirty nor faded but exceedingly well calculated to set off their charms as favourably as their mother herself could have desired captain tate after dancing his last dance with martha pointed her out with some feeling of triumph to one of the new arrivals as the girl upon whom he had bestowed the largest share of his regimental gallantries but he was far from imagining as he did so how very much better she had contrived to manage the flirtation than himself she had made it the means of clothing herself and sister from top to toe while to him it had been very costly in gloves ices eau de cologne and dancing pumps chapter four a wedding and its consequences a transfer of property miss martha receives a proposal of marriage another expedition to compton bassett the regimental gala which had been looked forward to with so much interest though very gay and very agreeable did not perhaps produce all the results expected by the soft hearts and bright eyes of silverton for only one wedding was achieved in consequence of it this one made a very hasty and imprudent bride of sophia compton 
her charming voice joined to her pretty person was too enchanting for the enthusiastic lieutenant willoughby to leave behind him and just as the full moon rose upon the tents of the revellers he drew her gently into the deep shadow of that appropriated to the settlers and there swore a very solemn oath that it was quite impossible he should continue to exist if she refused to elope with him that evening upon the whole miss sophia was by no means sorry to hear this but could not help expressing a modest wish that he would be so obliging as to change the plan of operations and instead of eloping with her would just speak to papa and so be married in a proper way for a considerable time longer indeed than it was possible to remain in the shadow of the sutler's tent the young gentleman declared this to be impossible because in that case his own relations must be informed of the affair and he knew perfectly well that if this happened effectual measures would be taken to prevent his ever possessing his adorable sophia at all these arguments were repeated and dwelt upon with very convincing energy for the space of one whole quadrille during which the tender pair sat ensconced behind a fanciful erection on the front of which was traced in letters formed of laurel leaves the words to the ladies nor was his pretty listener insensible to their force or the probable truth of the misery they predicted it was therefore all things considered much to the credit of miss sophie that she persevered in her refusal of accepting him on the terms he offered lieutenant willoughby was by no means a wicked young man but it was his nature to covet particularly whatever it was least convenient to obtain and it was i believe of him that a youthful anecdote has been recorded which sets this disposition in a striking point of view upon occasion of some dainty but pernicious delicacy being forbidden or some frolic tending too strongly to mischief being stopped he is said to have exclaimed it is a very very shocking thing mamma that everything that is nice is called wrong and everything that is nasty is called right this was said when he was seven years old but at twenty-two he was very nearly of the same unfortunate opinion and invariably valued everything in proportion to the conviction he felt that he should be opposed in his pursuit of it when therefore miss sophia persisted in her declaration that she would not run away with him lieutenant willoughby became perfectly desperate in his determination to obtain her and having a sort of natural instinct which convinced him that no proposal of marriage would be ill-received by mrs compton he wrung the hand of his sophie implored her not to dance with anybody else and then having sought and found her mother amidst the group of matrons who sat apart admiring their respective daughters he drew her aside and told his tale of love this as he expected was by no means unkindly received and when mrs compton having recovered from her first ecstasy began to hint at income and settlement the impassioned young gentleman contrived to puzzle her so completely by stating the certainty of his being disinherited if his marriage were immediately known and the handsome fortune it was possible he might have if it were kept profoundly secret that he sent her home as vehemently determined to let him marry her daughter without saying a word to his family about the matter as he could possibly have desired the result of this may be easily divined nothing approved by mrs compton was ever effectually opposed by mr compton so miss sophia was married to lieutenant willoughby within ten days of the regimental ball and within one year afterwards a female infant called agnes willoughby was placed in the care of the curate of silverton and his wife her young mother being dead and her broken-spirited father about to set off for the west indies having found his father implacable his well-married sisters indignant and nothing left him whereon to found a hope of escape from his difficulties except thus giving up his little girl to her grandfather 
and exchanging his commission in the gay blank regiment for one in a corps about to embark for a service very likely to settle all his embarrassments by consigning him to an early tomb meanwhile the curate of silverton was becoming every day more involved in debt and his dashing eldest daughter though handsomer than ever painfully conscious that among all the successive legions of lovers whose conspicuous adorations had made her the most envied of her sex there was not one who had offered any rational probability of becoming her husband the first of these misfortunes was the most embarrassing and so imperiously demanded a remedy that the poor curate at length consented to find it in the sale of his moiety of his paternal acres it is certain that his nightly potations of hot toddy had very considerably impaired his powers of caring for anything nevertheless it was not without a pang that he permitted his wife to insert an advertisement in the county paper proclaiming the sale by auction of certain crofts and meadows barns and byres making part and parcel of a capital dairy farm known by the name of compton bassett when the day of sale arrived several competitors appeared who bid pretty briskly for the lot for the land particularly thirty acres of it known by the name of the butcher's close was some of the best in the county but the successful candidate who it was pretty evident from the first was determined that it should be knocked down to no one else was farmer wright miss betsy's prosperous and well-deserving tenant this though the purchase was a large one for a mere farmer amounting to six thousand five hundred and twenty-five pounds did not greatly surprise the neighbourhood for the wrights were known to be a prudent thrifty and industrious race it is possible they might have been more surprised had they known that it was miss betsy herself and not her tenant who was the purchaser but so it was the twenty-five years which had elapsed since the death of her father had enabled this careful little lady to accumulate by means of her rent her five hundred pounds and its compound interest and the profits of her well-managed apiary a much larger sum than it required to become the possessor of her brother's share of compton bassett and when she had finished the affair and leased out the whole property the butcher's clothes included to her friend and tenant farmer wright for the annual rent of six hundred pounds now including two chickens per week for her own use she still remained possessed of four thousand pounds sterling safely lodged in the funds a property which went on very rapidly increasing as her scale of expense never varied and rarely exceeded ten pounds per annum beyond the profits of her bees and her stipulated accommodation from the farm but in spite of this strict economy miss betsy was no bad neighbour to the poor and in a small and very quiet way did more towards keeping dirt and cold out of their dwellings than many who spent three times as much upon them and made ten times as much fuss about it it was not however till many years later that the fact of her being the possessor of the whole of the compton bassett estate became known to any one but farmer wright and as to the amount of her half-yearly increasing property in the funds she had no confidant but her broker this mystery this profound secrecy in the silent rolling up of her wealth was perhaps the principal source of her enjoyment from it it amused her infinitely to observe that while the bad management and improvidence of her brother and his wife were the theme of eternal gossipings her own thrift seemed permitted to go quietly on without eliciting any observation at all her judicious and regularly administered little charities assisted in producing this desired effect much more than she had the least idea of for the praises of miss betsy's goodness and kindness proceeded from many who had profited more from her judgment and her well-timed friendly loans than from her donations and the gratitude for such services was much more freely and generally expressed than if the favours conferred had been merely those of ordinary almsgiving 
it was therefore very generally reported in silverton that miss betsy compton gave away all her income to charity which was the reason why she never did anything to help her embarrassed relations these erroneous reports were productive of at least one advantage to the family of the curate of silverton for it effectually prevented their having any expectations from her beyond a vague and uncertain hope that if she did not bequeath her farmhouse and acres to an hospital the property might be left to them but not even the croaking ill-will of mrs compton could now anticipate a very early date for this possible bequest for pale and delicate-looking as she ever continued nobody had ever heard of miss betsy's having a doctor's bill to pay and as she was just seven years younger than her brother the curate who moreover was thought to be dropsical there appeared woefully little chance that her death would ever benefit her disappointed sister-in-law at all a very considerable portion of the purchase money of the estate had dwindled away the little agnes willoughby had attained the age of eleven years and mr compton had become so ill as to have been forced to resign his curacy when mr barnaby the celebrated surgeon and apothecary of silverton who for the last ten years had admired miss martha compton more than any lady he had ever looked upon suddenly took courage and asked her point-blank to become his wife had he done this some few years before his fate would have been told in the brief monosyllable no uttered probably with as much indignation as any sound compounded of two letters could express but since that time the fair martha had seen so many colonels majors captains ay and lieutenants too march into the town and then march out again without whispering anything more profitable in her ear than an assurance of her being an angel that the case was greatly altered and after the meditation of a moment she answered very modestly you must speak to my mother mr barnaby perfectly satisfied by the reply mr barnaby did speak to her mother but the young lady took care to speak to her first and after a long and very confidential conversation it was determined between them that the offer of the gentleman should be accepted that fifty pounds out of the few remaining hundreds should be spent upon her wedding garments and that whenever it pleased god to take poor mr compton his widow and little granddaughter should be received into mr barnaby's family it has not been recorded with any degree of certainty whether these last arrangements were mentioned to the enamoured galen when the important interview which decided the fate of miss martha took place but whether they were or not the marriage ceremony followed with as little delay as possible two circumstances occurred previous to the ceremony which must be mentioned as being calculated to open the character of my heroine to the reader no sooner was this important affair decided upon than miss martha told her mamma that it was her intention to walk over to compton bassett and inform miss betsy of the news herself and what do you expect to get by that martha said the old lady i have not forgot yet my walk to compton bassett just before poor dear sophy's marriage nor the trick the little monster played me making me bring home her vile hypocritical letter as carefully as if it had been a bank-note for a hundred pounds you must go without me if you go will for i have taken my last walk to compton bassett i promise you i don't want you to trouble yourself about it in any way mother replied miss martha i'll make agnes walk with me and whether i get anything out of that little porcupine or not the walk can do us no great harm tis not so hot as when i went that's certain said mrs compton becoming better reconciled to the expedition she has never seen agnes since the poor little thing was thought to be dying in the measles just five years ago and then you know she did hire a nurse and send in oranges and jellies and all that sort of trumpery and who can say but her heart may soften towards her again when she sees what a sweet pretty creature she is grown 
i can't say i have much faith in good looks doing much towards drawing her purse-strings she has seen poor sophy and me often enough and i can't say that we ever found our beauty did us any good with her neither is it that upon which i reckon now but telling her of a wedding is not begging you know and i don't think it possible but what such a prudent business-like wedding as mine may be more to her taste than poor sophy's where there was nothing but a few fine sounding names to look to and much good they did her poor thing well set off martha whenever you like there is no need to make little agnes look smart even if i had the means to do it for it's quite as well that she should be reminded of the wants of the poor child by the desolate condition of her old straw bonnet when do you think you shall go this afternoon i'm sure of not seeing barnaby again till tea-time for he has got to go as far as pemberton so we may start as soon as dinner is over miss martha compton and her young companion set off accordingly about three o'clock and pursued their way chiefly in silence to miss betsy's abode for agnes rarely spoke to her aunt except when she was spoken to and miss martha was meditating profoundly the whole way upon the probability of obtaining mr barnaby's consent to the refurnishing his drawing-room it was the month of april the air deliciously sweet and mild and birds singing on every tree so that although the leaves were not yet fully out they found miss betsy sitting as usual in her bower and enjoying as keenly the busy hum about her beehives as ever miss martha did the bustling animation produced by the murmuring of a dozen redcoats miss betsy was at this time about fifty years of age and though the defect in her shape was certainly not lessened by age she was altogether an exceedingly nice-looking little old lady and her cap was as neat and becoming and her complexion very nearly as delicate as at the time of mrs compton's visit just twelve years before she fixed her eyes for a moment upon martha as she approached the bower but appeared not to know her the little girl following close behind was for a minute or two invisible but the instant she caught sight of her she rose from her seat and stepping quickly forward took the child by her hand drew her in and placed her on the bench by her side little agnes who knew she was come to see her aunt felt assured by this notice that she was in her presence and moreover that she was a very kind person so when the old lady after examining her features very attentively said you are little agnes are you not she replied without hesitation or timidity yes i am and you are good aunt betsy that used to give me the oranges do you remember that my child tis a long while almost half your little life take off your bonnet agnes and let me see your face agnes obeyed the desolate straw bonnet was laid aside and miss betsy gazed upon one of the fairest and most delicate little faces that the soft beams of an april sun ever fell upon the pale recluse kept her keen eyes fixed upon the little girl for many minutes without pronouncing a word at length she said but apparently speaking only to herself it is just such a face as i wanted her to have her father was a gentleman she will never have red cheeks that is quite certain how do you do aunt betsy said miss martha in a very clear and distinct voice probably thinking that she had remained long enough in the background very well i thank you was the reply and who are you dear me aunt you must say that for fun for it is hardly likely you should know agnes that was almost a baby the last time you ever saw her and forget me that was quite grown up at the same time oh then you are miss martha the great beauty are you you look very old indeed miss martha considering that you can't be very much past thirty and that i suppose is the reason i did not know you how is your poor father miss martha he's very bad aunt betsy 
but i hope the news i am come to tell you will be a comfort to him and please you too and what news can that be miss martha i am going to be married aunt betsy to a person that is extremely well off and able to set me above all poverty and difficulties for ever and the only thing against it is that papa cannot afford to give me any money at all for my wedding clothes which is a dreadful disgrace to the name of compton and to tell you the truth at once for i am a frank honest-hearted girl that never hides anything i am come over here on purpose to ask you to give me a few pounds just to prevent my having to ask my husband for a shift if you have no shift miss martha while you are wearing such a gay bonnet as that i think any man must be a great fool for taking you however that is his affair and not mine i cannot afford to buy your wedding clothes miss martha nor do i intend ever to give you any money at all for any purpose whatever either now or at any future period so if you are wise as well as frank you will never ask me again if you marry a gentleman and have children who shall behave according to my notions of honour honesty and propriety it is possible that the little i may leave will be divided among them and any others whom i may think have an equal claim upon me but i heartily hope you will have none for i feel certain i should not like them and i would rather that the poor little trifle i may have left when i die should go to some one i did like miss martha's heart swelled with rage yet remote as miss betsy's contingent benefits were likely to be they had still influence sufficient to prevent her breaking out into open violence and she sat silent though with burning cheeks and a beating heart the address she had just listened to was certainly not of the most agreeable style and tone but it may be some apology for miss betsy's severity to state that the scene which had taken place in mr smith's shop rather more than twelve years before in which a certain captain tate took an important though unconscious part was accurately well known to the little spinster mrs wright the wife of her tenant having witnessed the whole of it when she had finished her speech to miss martha which was spoken in her usual gay tone of voice miss betsy turned again towards agnes who was then standing at the entrance of the bower earnestly watching the bees they are pretty curious creatures are they not agnes said she i hope some day or other you will be as active and industrious do you love to work my little girl i love to play better replied agnes ay that's because you are such a young thing and who are your playfellows agnes i have not got any playfellows but myself was the reply and where do you play in grandpapa's garden behind the house and what do you play at oh so many things i play at making flower-beds in the summer and at snowballs in the winter and i know a blackbird and ever so many robin redbreasts and they know me and i-do you know how to read agnes a little replied the child blushing deeply come here then and read a page of my book to me poor agnes obeyed the summons and submissively placing herself by the side of her aunt took the book in her hands and began to read but it was so very lame and imperfect a performance that miss betsy wanted either the cruelty or the patience to let it proceed and taking the volume away she said in a graver tone than was usual with her nobody seems to have given themselves much trouble about teaching you my little girl but i dare say you will read better by and by are you hungry agnes do you wish for something to eat after your walk delighted at being thus relieved from exposing her ignorance the little girl replied gaily i am very hungry indeed ma'am then sit here to rest for a few minutes and i will see what i can get for you and so saying miss betsy rose and walked briskly away towards the house old brute 
exclaimed martha as soon as she was quite beyond hearing there's a hump for you isn't she a beauty agnes a beauty aunt martha no i don't think she is a beauty though i like the look of her face too but she certainly is not a beauty for she is not the least bit like you and you are a beauty you know and who told you that child oh i have heard grandmamma and you talk about it often and i heard mr barnaby say when he came in yesterday how are you my beauty and besides i see you are a beauty myself and pray agnes replied her aunt laughing with great good humour how do you know a beauty when you see one why don't i see every time i walk by mr gibbs's shop his beauties in the window with their rosy cheeks and their black eyes and their quantity of fine ringlets and you are exactly the very image of one of mr gibbs's beauties aunt martha miss martha remembered that there was one very pretty face in the window of the village perruquier and doubted not that the little agnes's observation had reference to that one it was therefore with one of her most amiable smiles that she replied you little goose how can i be like a painted wax image but the protestations and exclamations by which the simile might have been proved good were broken off by the approach of a maid-servant from the house who said that miss bessie was waiting for them they found the neat little lady in her pretty sitting-room with a lily-white cloth spread on a table near the open window and a home-made loaf a little bowl of native cream and a decanter of bright spring water with a couple of tumblers near it simple as this repast was it was well relished by both the nieces though decidedly served in honour of only one however no positive objection being made to miss martha's taking her share of it she spared neither the loaf nor the cream and remembering her mother's account of her penny repast felt something like triumph as she ate to think how much more she had contrived to get out of her churlish relative but this was all she got excepting indeed that she felt some consolation for her disappointment in having to tell her mother on her return that if she had children and of course she should as everybody else had they were to have their share of all the old maid might leave ugly old hypocrite it won't be much take my word for it replied mrs compton she likes all the beggars in the parish a vast deal better than she does her own flesh and blood don't talk any more of her martha i should be glad if i was never to hear her name mentioned again End of chapters three and four